Justin Shears and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. By mid-April 1969, with both sides of a new single recorded and ready for release, the Beatles returned to sessions for their new LP. Recording on the 18th had seen George's Old Brown Shoe completed, with the remaining studio time being devoted to creating the heavy outro for John's I Want You, She's So Heavy, the basic tracks for which had been laid down at Trident Studios back in February. Huddled in the far left-hand corner of Studio 2 at Abbey Road, John and George multi-tracked several heavily distorted guitars onto the master take, which was then mixed down and called Take One, now ready for even more guitars, which would create a momentous outro to what would later become the Beatles' second longest released recording, clocking in just shy of eight minutes. Now the last track on side one is entitled I Watch You, She's So Heavy, and this in itself by itself is probably the longest track on the LP being seven minutes in length. Yes, that's right. This is, this is one that we did um, while we were finishing the last album. And it was like one of the sessions where we just carried on the end until we fell apart. Yeah. And uh, that's why, you know, that's why all our ends, we usually, when we do a track anyway, once we get to the end, we just play it and play it, just in case we get some magic. And I think we got a bit of magic in this one. It seems, John, that there's a, a very strong melodic tone. I think there always has been to your music, but in the context of other music that's going on today, uh, Abbey Road has got a lot of very strong melody lines, and I think it's probably not as powerful electronically as, as say, your last LP or the Pepper Eyes. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know, you know. Uh, what about the end of I Want You, you know? True. Yeah, yeah. That isn't that, really. Yeah. What wasn't used on the released version of the track were two overdubs recorded on the 20th of April. A sizzling guitar track played by either John or George, and a swirling Hammond organ piece played by friend of the band, Billy Preston.
The next track to be committed to tape this day was one of Paul's, a bluesy number which had premiered during the Get Back sessions only months earlier. Darling, please believe me. Please believe me, darling. I'll never do you no harm.
Yoko's divorce has just gone through. Free at last. I'm free. early versions of Oh Darling from the January 1969 Get Back sessions. The song would retain its structure and feel once transported to Studio 3 at Abbey Road in the late evening of the 20th of April. 26 takes of the basic track were recorded with Ringo on drums, John on electric guitar, George on bass and Paul on piano and guide vocal. While the vocals at this stage were relatively very tame and unambitious, Paul had some ideas about how to finish them later down the track. Oh Darling, to me, is another of Paul's songs, which is typical sort of 1950 to 60 period type of song. The chord structure and everything, it's really nice. Uh, you know those groups, I can't think of the names. Uh, oh, like the Moon Glows. And yeah, you know there was a period, there was hundreds of... The monotone. Yeah, well it's typical sort of 1955 mm. type song. Uh, happiness is a warm gun, there was a feel of that. Yeah, in yeah, in yeah. The, but the, the vocal group, wah, wah, yeah, that's so it. Yeah. But this is more really just um, Paul singing. We do a few oohs in the background, which are, you can't 
just very quietly, but it's mainly Paul shouting.
From the 20th of April 1969, Take 4 of Oh Darling, featuring studio guest Billy Preston on keys, who'd been in the studio to add his magic to I Want You earlier in the evening. Take 26 was deemed the best for use as the master. Paul arrived at the studio earlier than the others on the 26th of April to re-record his vocals, and a rough mono mix was made for reference purposes, before moving on to the next song for the evening. Of course, every Beatles LP needs a Ringo vocal, and with the exception of A Hard Day's Night and Magical Mystery Tour to this point, 
each album had featured a song sung by the band's drummer. Most had been covers or songs donated by Lennon and McCartney. The White Album had seen the first full-blown composition by Ringo, and now it was time for another starky tune. Ringo and George explain how the new song came to be. Frequently under Beatles songs, titles we see in brackets, Lennon McCartney, and under this one we see Star. You don't write many compositions, so why is this, Ringo? Uh, Well, I find them very hard, (laughs) especially when you can only play three chords on the piano. You you yourself play a bit of piano? Yes, just in C. I'll play anything in C as long as it's a 12 bar. <laughs> and, um, and this all came about one fine afternoon on holiday and the guy was telling me a story about octopuses, how they make gardens. And it knocked me out so much that I just wrote a song about it. How do octopuses make gardens? Well, they go around the seabed and they pick up all the shiny things and nice things on the seabed and put them in front of them, you know, which is fantastic. Yeah, this is this a treat you did it. Yes, and so I thought, well, that's nice, and I'd like to go there. Yeah. And I'm sure a few of my friends would like to go there, and that's what the song's all about. It's basically sort of a, a children's rhyming type thing, sort of sing-along type uh, song. Yes, it's, it's, it's like children's because it's very simple words and nothing complicated. Mm-hmm. It's just a nice little song, and I'm very proud of it. I started it last November, Yeah, and I uh, finished it about... May. <laughs> it takes me quite a while. That's why I only write a few. But I only write like two a year. When I was in Sardinia, actually, I was there because, you know, for me personally, it was like hard times with the Beatles. And I just, I've got to leave. I'm going. And I left the Beatles and went on holiday with the kids and uh, Peter Sellers lent me his boat. I mean, we all know that part of the story. And the captain of that boat was told me the story about octopuses do this. I mean, I knew nothing about octopuses. And the idea that they built these gardens, I mean, they're still like, I think if a spaceship comes down, it'll probably be the octopuses they talk to. It won't be us. You know, <laughs> it'll be the octopus and the whales and the odd dolphin. Uh, and so he told me this great story I thought it was just the most beautiful story I'd heard, you know, and I, I got lucky. I, I had a, a guitar with me and I had an idea of a melody and I sang the words and it related to my peace of mind, state of mind at that moment, because I would have loved to have been under the sea, not, not dying or anything, just with my friends. <laughs> And we would dance around. It would all be cheerful. It would all be up, you know. Octopus's Garden is Ringo's song. Is the second song Ringo wrote, and it's um, it's lovely. You know, it's again like Ringo. He gets bored, you know, playing the drums, and at home he plays a bit of piano, but he only knows about three chords, and he knows about <laughs> the same on guitar, and so uh, his main the main music he likes is country and western so it's really got a country and western feel you know and uh it's actually it's i think it's a really great song because um on the surface it just it's like a daft kid song but the lyrics are great really for me you know i find very deep meaning in the lyrics which Ringo doesn't probably doesn't see but all the thing like 
resting our head on the seabed mm. and something will be warm beneath the storm which is really great you know because it's like this level is a storm and it's always you know if you get sort of deep in your consciousness it's very peaceful so Ringo's writing his cosmic songs without noticing <laughs> as we just heard octopus's garden was first written by Ringo while on holiday in Sardinia in late 1968 when the Beatles embarked on their Get Back project, Ringo demoed the song to George and the crew on the studio piano early one morning. Listen carefully for George's comment about Ringo having learned a new chord as he joins in on acoustic guitar and lends a hand in arranging the tune. Thank you. 
roll forward to Studio 2 on the 26th of April 1969, where all four Beatles record the basic track for Ringo's new song. John and George on guitars, Paul on bass and of course Ringo on drums, providing a guide vocal, perhaps concentrating on his kit a bit more than the words at this stage. I'd ask my friends to come and see 
Takes two and nine of Octopus's Garden. It's unclear whether the lyrics were complete at this stage or Ringo just didn't bother singing the full song as it was only a guide vocal to be replaced later. However, all the elements are there including some fine country and western finger-picking by George. Take 32 was marked as best, ready for overdubs, when work would continue on the song a few days later. On the 27th of April, newlyweds Yoko and John, who had just recently changed his name officially from John Winston Lennon to John Winston Ono Lennon in a ceremony on the rooftop of the Beatles' Apple offices at 3 Savile Row, took to the floor of Studio 3 at Abbey Road to make a typically unusual recording. Yoko? John? Yoko? John? Yoko? John? Yoko? John? Yoko? John? Yoko? John! Yoko! John! Yoko! John! Yoko! The heartbeats we heard are John and Yoko's, recorded with a super-sensitive hospital microphone as they lay on the studio floor. An overdub of the pair standing at the microphone calling each other's names with varying intonations was made, also capturing John appearing to eat an apple. The idea, however, wasn't 100% original. Stan Freeberg's 1951 comedy recording John and Marsha, a spoof of television soap opera melodramatics, may well have been the inspiration for John and Yoko's recording. John! Marcia! John! Marcia! John? Uh, Marcia. John? Marcia? Regardless of where the idea came from, John and Yoko's track was mixed to stereo in its entirety, clocking in at 22 and a half minutes, and was later issued as side A of their wedding album LP in November 1969. The 29th of April saw work resume on Octopus's Garden, 
By now, Ringo had clearly done some homework to complete the lyrics, ready to track and double track his lead vocal onto take 32. Paul would then add a honky-tonk piano part, making the song ready for a rough remix and some rumination about how to add some atmosphere to the track. Right, George. rough mix of take 32 of Octopus's Garden, where the song would rest for nearly three months. In late April, John gave an interview for the New Musical Express, or NME, newspaper, in which he mentions that he's just written a song based on a classical chord progression which Yoko had played to him. This song turned out to be Because, 
one of the standout tracks on side B of the Abbey Road LP. In the course of the interview, John talks about working with other people. For example, what's the new Mary Jane from the Wild Album sessions, naming Greek electronics engineer Alex Mardis, better known as Magic Alex, the Beatles' questionable electronics guru, as a co-conspirator on the track. This clearly jogs John's memory, as he then mentions a song recorded at the end of the Sgt Pepper sessions, which had been left in the vault. Fast forward to the 30th of April 1969, and the Beatles have completed work on the Glyn Johns version of Let It Be, with George adding a new guitar solo to the original recording. Then, the song which John had half remembered in his NME interview was then retrieved from the 1967 tape shelf and given some enthusiastic vocal overdubs by John and Paul, as George had declined to participate. And some sound effects of audience and nightclub ambience, with the ubiquitous roadie Mal Evans shoveling a bucket of gravel in time with the music.
this off with you. <laughs> you know my name. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Take 30 of You Know My Name, Look Up The Number, now complete and ready for a delayed release as the B-side to the Let It Be single in March 1970. Well, that's it for this episode. Next time we travel with John and Yoko to Canada for a second honeymoon and the Beatles begin work on the Abbey Road LP in earnest. Until next time... Ha <laughs> ha!